Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this wonderful, warm spring day. And I can tell you all got plenty of sleep last night, so not. I'm glad you're here today, whether that's in person at one of our campuses or watching online. Just appreciate you connecting with us. And believe it or not, we are heading into the fifth and final week of our Power of Small journey. Now, for those of you who may be new and you're wondering what we're talking about, for the last month or so, we've been exploring together as a church just how important the little things are in our lives. Because while most of us assume that it's the big things, the big moments that have the greatest impact on our life, what we've actually discovered is that it's all about the little things, right? That little things, if done consistently and strategically, over long periods of time, those things can make a big difference in our lives, right? And it's true whether you're talking about your diet or your finances, whether you're talking about your relationships or your faith journey, there's a whole lot of power in the small stuff. I really love how James, the brother of Jesus, puts it in James 3, 4. Notice what he says, and a small rudder can make a huge ship turn. Wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. You can take a big boat with big, powerful winds buffeting it around, but ultimately the smallest piece of the boat, the rudder, ultimately determines where that ship goes. Same thing's true in our lives. These small things over time have a way of adding up to where we end up in life. And so today I want us to wrap up this journey by exploring how we can find God in the small stuff. Because while yes, we serve a big mountain moving God, we most often experience him best in the small mustard seed moments of our lives. What I mean by that is we we tend to be able to see God moving and working in the big things, the big events, the big crisis moments in our lives. And certainly God moves and works in those big moments. But I believe it is in those small, quiet moments where we can best hear his voice and experience his presence and his power in ways that over time will literally transform our lives. And so to help us see how we can find God in the small stuff, we kind of want to pick up where we left off last week with our Old Testament hero, Elijah. And if you were here, you remember I told you that Elijah was a prophet of God in the nation of Israel. A prophet of God was simply somebody who was called by God to speak the word of God to the people of God, because they didn't have God's word in written form. They didn't have a Bible. So God spoke to, gave truth to, comforted and guided the nation of Israel through his prophets. And they had many prophets throughout their history. But Elijah was not just a prophet of God. He was the prophet of God. I mean, Elijah is the Mac daddy of all of the Old Testament prophets. He was an amazing, mighty big man of God. In fact, that's why in the Gospels, 
When Jesus asked his followers, who do people say that I am? You remember what their answer was? Some say you are Elijah. Think about that, right? People looked at Jesus' life, his ministry, and his miracles, and they thought, well, that's got to be Elijah. That's how mighty Elijah was. But you remember when we left Elijah last week? He wasn't quite so mighty, was he? You remember God had told him to tell King Ahab, the wicked King Ahab, that Elijah was going to pray and God was going to stop the rain? And it was going to be a famine and a drought, and it's going to really be bad. And Elijah did that, and then he got scared, and he took off running, and he ended up in this hiding in this little backwater village of Zarephath where he was being cared for by a penniless widow and her never-ending breadsticks. Right? You remember that? She had just one little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and yet because she chose to generously trust God with what little she had, that God miraculously made that flour and that oil just keep going and just keep producing bread. Well, listen, that goes on for three full years. For three years, Elijah stays in Zarephath with this widow and her son and living off of this magic, miraculous bread. But at the end of three years, God shows up and says, all right, Elijah, it's time to go back and tell King Ahab that now you're going to pray and it's going to cause the rain to return. So Elijah gets up and he starts heading back to the palace and on his way, he runs into one of King Ahab's right-hand men, a guy by the name of Obadiah. And he finds out that even though Obadiah is one of the king's right-hand men, he's actually secretly a God follower. And he tells Elijah, he said, look, I've been working from the inside. And, you know, Jezebel, the queen Jezebel, she's been trying to kill all of the prophets. And I've been helping them hide. I've been protecting them secretly. I've been making sure that they're fit. I have a hundred prophets of God that I am protecting from queen Jezebel. And Elijah says, okay, Obadiah, you go back and you tell King Ahab it's time for a showdown. It's time for us as a nation to decide which God is God. Is Jehovah the Lord God going to be the God that we follow? Or are we going to keep trying to follow this God named Baal? And Elijah says, you tell the king to bring all the prophets of Baal and all the people and you meet me on Mount Carmel because we're going to have a showdown. And so sure enough, all the people come, 450 prophets of Baal come, uh, King Ahab comes, and they're all there. It's really cool. You should read this. It's 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm just giving you a flyby version. You should really read it. So they meet at Mount Carmel. Elijah said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Prophets of Baal, you build an altar to Baal, and I'm going to build an altar to the Lord God. And whichever God answers with fire, that'll be the one we know is the true God. And this, Elijah, is so cool, I love this. He said, and since there's 450 of you and only one of me, to make it fair, you guys go first. So they build an altar, they put wood on it, they slaughter a bull, they put the bull on top of it, and they begin to pray and chant and ask Baal to send down fire to burn up this offering. And from nine o'clock in the morning to noon, three hours, they're praying, praying, and after that, Elijah, he's so thug. Man, he just starts taunting them. He's like, you know, surely Baal is a God, right? Maybe, maybe he's busy, he just can't hear you. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's distracted. Maybe you should pray a little louder. And they do. They start dancing and screaming. They start cutting themselves and doing all this thing to get Baal to send down fire. Nothing. Crickets. And Elijah said, all right, it's my turn. 
He builds an altar out of stone. He puts wood on it. He slaughters a bull, puts the meat on it. And he said, just to make this fair, let's soak this altar with water. And they pour jug after jug of water to all the wood, all the meat, all the stone, everything. So much water on this altar that they have to dig a trench around it. And when the trench is full of water, Elijah says, now it's time. I love this because Elijah doesn't dance around. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't cry out to God. He just simply says, all right, God, show him who you are. And immediately fire falls from heaven. It consumes the meat, the wood. It's so much fire. It consumes the rocks that the altar is built out of, all the water. It scorches the ground. And the people are like, Jehovah is God. They turn back to God and they turn against and slaughter all 450 prophets of Baal. Put them to death. Victory, sweet victory. You know, Elijah probably, you know, spiked the ball in the end zone, you know, did a little victory dance. Man, it couldn't have gone better. And so Elijah says to King Ahab, now I'm going to pray and the rain's going to come. And dude, there's going to be so much rain. You better get in your chariot and go back to the palace right now because if you delay, you're going to get stuck in the mud. It's going to be that much rain. So Elijah prays, and sure enough, clouds start to form off in the horizon, and the rain is coming. And I don't know whether Elijah was just so fired up, he was full of the Spirit or whatever, but Elijah decides he's going where Ahab's going. So he pulls up his robe, tucks it into his belt, and he takes off running, and he outruns the king's chariot and gets to the town even before King Ahab. I mean, it's an amazing victory until King Ahab tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, what Elijah has done. Now, she's all about the prophets of Baal, right? They were her people, and she finds out that Elijah has had them all killed, and she sends a message to Elijah that simply said, may the gods deal ever so harshly with me If by this time tomorrow I don't have done to you what you had done to the prophets of Baal. And Elijah panics. He's overcome with anxiety and fear. And right out of this victory, he once again takes off running out into the desert. And runs and runs and runs until he's completely exhausted. And he collapses in the shade of a broom tree. And I want you to look at what Elijah prays under that broom tree. First Kings 19.4, Elijah says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And that's a dark place, isn't it? I mean, think about this, this huge spiritual victory, this huge moment in his life. And then here he is 24 hours later, consumed with anxiety, depression, and maybe even a little suicidal ideation. From way up here to way down here. It's like that. You ever had an experience like that? Like you're in a really good place, things are going really well, and then all of a sudden maybe you get that phone call, or that one person says that one thing at that one time, and then all of a sudden all your experiences with God just seem to evaporate, and you're down in that dark valley, You're struggling with anxiety or depression and you're wondering, man, I just can't go anymore. I'm done. I've had enough, God. Or maybe for you, it's not a single event, but the culmination of events over a long period of time. 
I know for many of us, just, just these last two years, just trying to do life on life's terms has overwhelmed us. And you find yourself feeling anxious, but you don't even really know why you're anxious. You feel depressed, but you can't really put your finger on what the cause is. If you've ever been there or if you're there right now, I've got some great news for you. And I'm not trying to minimize those dark valley moments. But what I know to be true is that in those dark valley moments, as difficult as they are, they are often the best place to be in order to hear from God. It's in those dark days that we can often experience the peace of his presence and the hope of his power. And as we unpack what happens to Elijah next, we're gonna see four keys to hearing God's voice. Four practical things that any of us can do, right? We're not talking about some kind of mystical meditation, kind of weird to hear from God. We're just talking about practical things, daily things that every one of us can do to hear from God. So let's jump in. One, first thing I have to do to hear from God is I gotta get to the right place. I have to get to the right place. You know, it's really interesting the way God responds to Elijah underneath that broom brush. When Elijah says, God, I've had enough. Take my life, I'm done. God doesn't say, what? You know, quit your whining. You know, put on your big boy pants. After all that I've done for you, after I just showed you my mighty power, you're gonna throw in the towel? No. You know what God does? He allows him to eat, to rest, and to recover. In fact, God sends an angel, a direct messenger of God, to care for Elijah underneath that broom brush. Think about it. Remember, God cared for Elijah uh, by the brook with ravens. He cared for Elijah in the village of Zarephath with a penniless widow. And now it is literally the hand of God himself who is caring for Elijah. See, when you're in those dark days, when you're walking through that deep valley, maybe for you, the best thing is to stop trying to do more for God and let God do more for you. Let him meet you where you are to care for you and comfort you. Because listen, God loves you right where you are. He loves you in your anxiety, your depression, your lack of faith. He loves you and wants to care for you in that dark valley. But he loves you way too much to leave you in that valley. Notice verse eight. It says, so when he, when Elijah got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of who? What's that say? Sorry, I didn't hear you. The mountain of? Right, for the nation of Israel, Mount Sinai was the location where God's presence was. This is the same mountain that Moses had gone up and down when he led the nation of Israel out of slavery. It's on that mountain that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's where he spoke to God in the burning bush. And so for Elijah to go to Mount Sinai was a deliberate choice to move toward God. It's this deliberate act of getting closer to God, seeking God more. 
See, when Elijah had nowhere to run, he knew where to run. Same thing is true for us. When you find yourself with nowhere to run, nowhere to run. It's to run to God, not away from him. See, too many times that's what we do. We allow the dark days, our pain, our struggles, and our failures to cause us to run away from God, to hold him at arm's length, but he wants us to run to him. Notice James 4, 8. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You gotta get to the right place. Where is that for you? Where is that place, that, that moment, that headspace where you experience God's presence the most? Where do you feel closest to God? Maybe for some of you, it's in that daily quiet time where you get alone with God and with his word and you're reading his word and you're praying. Maybe that's where you feel closest to God. Maybe for you, it's when you connect with other believers in a corporate worship service like this or a small group where you're just with other believers and you feel his presence. Maybe for some of you, it's when you're out surrounded by the beauty of God's creation and you just feel his presence. Maybe for some of you, it's when you listen to worship music, you just feel close to him. Wherever that is, you gotta get there to hear from God. Gotta get to the right place. But there's a second thing you have to do, and that is you have to be honest with God when you get there. You gotta be honest with God because it's not just about having a quiet time. It's not just about coming to a worship service or attending a home group. It's about opening up your heart and life to God when you're in his presence. To be honest with him and quite frankly, to start being honest with yourself. Notice what happens with Elijah. When he gets to Mount Sinai, he goes into a cave there and he spends the night. And at some point while he's in that cave, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he, if he heard an audible voice of God or if it was just something in his spirit. I, I don't know. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I'm not saying God can't speak that way. I'm just saying he's never spoken to me that way. I don't know how Elijah heard God's voice, but I know what God said. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing up on this mountain? What are you doing in this cave? And I love it. I love it when God asks questions, right? Because it's not because he doesn't know the answer, right? I mean, God is God. He's not seeking information. Why does God ask us questions? Because he wants to draw us in closer. He's drawing us into a conversation, right? Elijah, what are you doing here? And I love Elijah's answer. Notice verse 10. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Right? That's what he's doing. emotionally vomiting, all these problems. He's on this rant. And notice the three things that Elijah rants to God about. One, these people, Lord, right? You ever prayed that prayer? Lord, these people. 
If you hadn't prayed, I can promise you, I prayed it. Lord, these people, not y'all, but the people in the nine o'clock, Lord, these people, right? Second thing he rants about is like I'm all by myself. I'm lonely, God. I'm lonely. There are no other prophets. I don't have any peers. I'm, I'm all by myself out here in the middle of the desert. And he says, I'm scared. They're coming for me. They're gonna kill me. Jezebel is after me. Here's what's really, really interesting. Two of the three things Elijah complained about were not true. One, not all the people of Israel had turned their back on God. In fact, we'll see a little bit later. There were 7,000 people in the nation who were still faithfully worshiping God and had not bowed their knee to Baal. Secondly, he wasn't the only prophet left. And he knew that. Remember when he encountered Obadiah and Obadiah said, I got a hundred prophets I'm keeping, taking care of secretly. See, that happens sometimes. Our emotions overwhelm the facts, right? It feels a whole lot worse than it really is. But notice God's response to Elijah is not to correct him. It's not to chastise him. You know what it is? He just invites him to come closer. Verse 11 God says to Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. The more honest I am with God, the more of God's presence I experience in my life, and the more of his voice I can hear. I love this verse from Hebrews 10, 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a what? What's that say? Right. It doesn't say, let us draw near to God with, with really good, pretty spiritual prayers. You know, sometimes we go to God and we're, we're so afraid of saying it the right way or, you know, praying the right formula. God doesn't want that. God wants you to vomit everything you're struggling with on him. He can take it. Stop vomiting your stuff on your family and friends. They can't do anything about it. God can and he wants to hear from you. He wants to know what you're feeling. It's not that he doesn't know. He just wants you to know that he's right there. No better example of this in all of human history than David in the Old Testament, right? King David, shepherd boy, kills the giant, goes on to be this great king. You ever read his book of songs? You know the book of Psalms, he wrote most of those. They're prayers and songs to God from David. And you read it and sometimes they're like, God, you're so great, I feel you're so close, I'm doing so great. And then the very next verse, he's like, God, where are you? Why don't you do something? Don't you care? Aren't you really? You read some of David's Psalms and you're like, David, you better be careful. You can't talk to God that way. You're gonna get struck by lightning. But you know what God says about David? He is a man after my own heart. The more honest we are to God, the more open we become to hearing his voice. Number three, the third thing we have to do to hear God's voice is we got to ignore the noise around us. I have to ignore the noise around me. And this is so huge because sometimes the biggest barrier to hearing God's voice is all the other voices we're listening to in our lives. The voice of the news, the voice of politics, the constant clamor of social media, and we're allowing all of those voices to drown out God's 
voices. I'm not saying as Christians we should stick our heads in the sand and ignore what's going on around us, no. And I'm not saying we need to gather in our holy huddles and ignore the world around us, no. What I'm saying is don't allow the voices of this world to drive your emotions, your behaviors, or your responses. Block them out. They're not in control. Whoever they are on the news, whoever they are that post on social media, they are not the God of the universe, but your father is. And you ought to listen to his voice, but you got to drown out all the noise. So Elijah, he goes to the mouth of the cave. Now, he doesn't go outside the cave. He's in the entrance to the cave. And notice what happens, verses 11 and 12. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Y'all have all these big, loud moments, these big, loud events, things that would have shown up on CNN, Fox News, and in everybody's social media feed. All that stuff was there, but God's voice wasn't. I did a little research on this. It's so interesting because biblical scholars have a, a lot of different ideas about what's up with the wind and the fire and, you know, the earthquake. You know, some of them say that's, that's God's presence as God moved into Elijah's presence. His power, his glory shook the world. Others say, no, it can't be that because the Bible says God was not in the fire, the earthquake, or the wind. And some say, no, it's not. God's not in it. It means his voice is not in it. And I really don't know what's up with all those events, but I do know when Elijah heard God's voice. Notice verse 12. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Some translations say a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out. Why did he do that? Why did he cover his face when he heard that whisper? I mean, I understand covering your face when there's a fire and an earthquake and a hurricane. I mean, I get that because that's scary. I don't want that to get me. But why cover his face for a still, small voice. It's because he knew he was in the presence of God. He, he knew whose voice it was. And he covered his face for a different kind of fear. Not the fear of I can't let this get me, but the fear of a reverence and an awe of who God is. You know, so many times we're, we're looking for God in the big moments of life and we forget to listen to him in those little, quiet, daily moments. Oh, this phrase, a still small voice, we love that phrase, right? We use it all the time in our Christian culture. We put it on paintings and posters. We, we have little carvings. God, listen for the still, small voice. God is in the still, small voice. We love to talk about that, but what we forget is that in order to hear that still, small voice, you gotta intentionally get in the right place on a regular basis. You gotta stop playing games with God, stop lying to yourself and be honest with him. You got to ignore all the other voices that are driving your life. And then you can hear that still, small 
voice. And when you do, number four, then you can be encouraged and obedient. Be encouraged and obedient. See, God draws us into his presence to encourage us when we're struggling, right? He draws us in close to encourage. He'd done that three times with Elijah by the brook in the village of Zarephath. And then there under the broom brush, he draws us into his presence to comfort us. But when he speaks to us, he does it to call us onto his mission. Notice verses 15 through 18. The Lord said in this small, quiet voice, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came, Elijah. Anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Snapchat, that's not really what it says, but that's what I think of, to succeed you as prophet. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. Now, don't get hung up on all the names. Look at the big picture. What is God saying to Elijah? He's saying, Elijah, we got work to do. There are people to lead. There is a next generation for you to pour into. You've got a mission, Elijah, and I'm calling you to that mission. So do you. You have a mission. What's your mission? What's your life all about? What's that next step that God is calling you to? Because let me tell you, if you still got breath in your body, you still have a purpose here on this earth. Maybe your next step is to just actually connect with a church family. Don't stay out on the fringes. Don't keep dipping your toe in and out. Fully dive into the deep end and say, I'm gonna plug in here and this is going to be my church family. Maybe for some of us, it's to finally take ownership of our faith journey. To stop blaming everyone else and everything around us. And uh, you know, this pastor didn't feed me. This church didn't feed me. Look, the shepherd's job is not to feed the sheep. The shepherd's job is to lead them to the green pastures. But you got to eat it yourself. You got to invest in your relationship with God. It won't magically soak from me to you just because you're sitting here or watching me online. Maybe that's your next step. Take ownership of this thing. Maybe for you, it's to finally use your time and talents and resources to serve God, either on your campus or in our community or through our global partners. Maybe for you, your next step is to finally have enough courage to share with that coworker or that family member the reason for the hope you have. I don't know what next step God is calling you to. I just know the more open you are to taking that step, the more often you're gonna hear clearly from God. Notice what Jesus says, John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They follow me. The more ready you are to say yes to Jesus, the more often you'll hear his voice. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for that incredible truth that this event, these events that we look at are, are not a myth, they're not a fairy tale, they're not just some ancient made-up stories about God. These are real people. Elijah is just as real as we are. 
And God, in the same way you called him, you spoke to him, you comforted him, and you sent him out on mission, you're gonna do those same things for us. So God, help us take that next step to be where you need us to be and to trust you enough to hear your voice and respond. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.